Wouldn't be able to tell by my height, but I am a horrible athlete. I am. I know, I know. It disappointed a lot of you. Uh, you were hoping for so much more. Um, and it, it showed most in a pickup game of basketball where people have to pick teams. And I was always picked last until, uh, until March 2000, no, March 1995 was when I was outside playing basketball and I was picked first. Uh, and I was picked first by a guy named Anthony Little. Anthony Little, to this day, is still my, one of my closest friends. Uh, and, and, he, and when he picked me, it was this overwhelming feeling of, wait, me? And so it's one of those things where you kind of look to the next guy, like, and like, he's like, no, you. And I was like, me? You picked me? Why me? And, and, it, and then not only figured out later, it was, it was just his way of showing how much better he was than everybody else. Like, I can beat you even with him. <laughs> I feel like that, and that's a silly way of introducing us to the doctrine of adoption. I feel like that when I, when I, when I look at these verses, when I think about God as Father, and I think about what he's done for me, and I look and I say, you picked me? And, I, and then not only that, but you, you, you somebody as weak, sinful as me, you use me, and even with me, you win. Not because of anything I do, it's just because you're just that good. You're that big, that glorious, and anything you set your mind to, you accomplish, and yet you picked me. And that's the hope that I have for you guys in this class, is that uh, when, you, when, you, when we talk about this doctrine of adoption, for those who are, uh, for those who are in Christ, that you have that overwhelming sense of joy and that it leads you to worship like, wait, me? And so for us, some of us, we've experienced uh, firsthand or uh, either directly we've experienced adoption, what earthly adoption is like. Um, other, other, some of us have um, experienced what, it, what it's like to just have really poor fathers. Some of us have had really great examples of fathers. I think all of that is going to hopefully point us to a great God who is our Father, uh, who, is the, who, is, who, who, who poured out his grace on us. And so for those of us who know that experience of adoption, I pray that it will bring us closer to it. For those of us who had poor father figures, I pray that you find uh, uh, delight in knowing that there is a good father who loves you. And for those of us who've never experienced spiritual adoption, being taken from death to life, to, from being rescued from the, the wrath of God, I pray that you would hear these words and just uh, know that there is, there, is, there, is, there is grace for you. There's nothing you can do to earn your adoption into God's family, but through Christ Jesus' work on the cross, he, he, will, he pours out his grace on you, and he rescues you, and he adopts you, and he brings you into the family. If you've never experienced that, I'd love to talk to you more. So today, if you look at your outline, what we're going to do is just walk through uh, three, uh, three specific categories, so to speak, or three main ideas, or I'm sorry, main points. One, we're just going to talk about the nature of adoption. And then once we go through that and we look at uh, uh, its, its, its inner workings, we're going to look at the purpose of adoption, and then we're going to look at the benefits of adoption. And so the purpose of adoption and the benefits of adoption, they're going to kind of run together, um, but I, I hope we can kind of see a little bit of distinction. But ultimately, I pray that all of this kind of creates one uh, united whole and we get a clear picture of of what God is doing or what God has done in Christ. And so uh, adoption is simply uh, the legal transaction in which God the Father allows those who, who he regenerates and justifies to be allowed into his eternal family. And those are just fancy words of, 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 of saying that adoption is the act of God's grace that allows us to be counted among 
the, uh, his, as his, as his family, as, as, the, as counted in the number, so to speak. Um, and so it's just God, God's grace on us um, that allows us to be a part of his family. And so the main idea is, that, is simply, or the main point that we want to kind of hopefully see today is that Jesus' sacrificial love not only changes our sinful condition, but also positions us as sons and daughters so that we may glorify God and enjoy him and, and our new family forever. And so there's going to be some passages that we're just probably going to, you're going, we're going to end up hearing a lot. I got to put this down. This is why I shouldn't have messed with it. Okay. Righty tighty. Is that how it works? Yeah. Sorry, guys. So, there's some uh, passages that we're going to look at continuously. Uh, so, if you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians 1. The first part of this is we want to look at the nature of adoption. And in the nature of adoption, we're going to see the, the, it's, it's pl- the planning of adoption. Uh, we want to look at the human condition. Uh, we also want to look at uh, how it is, our adoption is secured ultimately in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first part, the planning of adoption. Can somebody go ahead and read Ephesians 1, and then go ahead and read uh, from the beginning, Ephesians 1, 1 through 5. And so when we see that word predestined, it just simply means to determine beforehand or to mark out beforehand. And essentially what it's saying is God has determined our eternal destiny before uh, the creation of, of the earth. And so with that in mind, the, the real question or, uh, the, or the real problem in this, in this sense is um, not why did, why did God choose some, but why did God choose any? And I think there's some, some key things in, the, in these verses that just, just kind of help us give a glimpse into who God is. And the first part is that God is loving. The doctrine of, of, of God electing us as sons and daughters is an expression of God's love for his children. In love, he predestined us. Also, we see uh, uh, who's doing the choosing in this passage. You can, yes, yep, God, absolutely. Uh, and God is the one doing the choosing. His, his choosing points to his eternal control over all things. And one more thing to look at, uh, um, not only is, uh, not only is, is God uh, setting his love on us, and he's doing this out of, uh, not only for, out of, for, to show off his glory, to set his affections on us, his love on us. It's God who's the one doing the choosing. But when does he do the choosing? Yeah, before the foundation of the world. And so when we put it all together, the adoption of some into God's family is the work of a loving, sovereign God who did the choosing before the human race was created. And this is a big deal in that it demonstrates that uh, not only did God have a plan for you before you existed, but that plan was conceived, executed, totally separated, totally separate from any uh, work of human hands. I think we'll see um, this most clearly when we begin to look at the human condition of why um, it, it had to be this way and why it could only be this way. So when we look at the human condition, I want to look at uh, three very specific verses. Once again, these verses are just going to help us reveal the state that we were in, the condition that we were in, uh, and, and why we can't have, why it's impossible for us to have any role 
uh, in our adoption. So we want to look at three uh, very key passages that just kind of identify our condition. Uh, so somebody grab uh, John 8, 34 through 47. Hey, Chris, can you get uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3? And Mercury, can you grab Galatians 4, 3 and verse 9? I didn't pick somebody for John 8. Has anybody got there yet? You got John 8, perfect. Would you go ahead and read that for us, John 8, 34? Uh, Did I really put all of those? Yes, I did. Let's go ahead and read all of it. Yeah, when I was when I, growing up in, in, in middle school and high school, one of the things that we would do that earned you uh, some type of reputation is you would, yeah, you would, you would basically just try to do your best to, to just break down the person by making fun of them in any way possible. And you knew you were winning by the oohs and ahs of the crowd. And that's kind of how I feel like with this is like, uh, no matter how I read this passage, that I'm trying to trying to gauge the, 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 the overwhelming feeling that the people uh, 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 experienced that were around, that were listening, that were being spoken to, when he says, you are of your father, the devil. And I'm wondering, like, like, that had to hurt, that had to cut. Like, you either were incredibly offended by that or you were like, hold up, wait. Um, because in one sense, he is making, uh, he, in one aspect, he's making amazing sense in, the, in that, yeah, if who you identify as your father is directly connected to your behavior in this particular uh, conversation. He's saying there's nothing about you. There's nothing about you that uh, even remotely reflects uh, the, the, the faith that Abraham demonstrated. And then they even try to take it one step further. Well, we weren't we we weren't born out of immorality. And so I think in some ways it's kind of a dig at Jesus because of the way uh, the, the 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 controversy around his birth. So they say, no, nah, our God, our father. And like, no, you, you, there's nothing about you that reflects that God is your father. This is, and then he makes this uh, this statement. Uh, he says he says that. You are of your father, the devil. And there's two, uh, two ways he describes the devil uh, in, this, in, this, in this passage. Can you, anybody find one of them? Murderer from the beginning. Yeah, he says you were, he was murderer from the beginning. And then another one, abandon the truth, for there is no truth in him. And so his, his native tongue is lies. And so in, in, a, in one sense that there's just... Like he's literally placing them up under uh, Satan. He says, no, like you are not a child of God. Like your father, 
is the devil. We can spend a lot of time with that, but let's move on. Ephesians uh, uh, 2, 1 through 3. Yeah, and so obviously these people are standing in front of him. They can, they, can, they can breathe, they can see, they can hear. They're physically alive. And so uh, what, what Jesus is telling them is like, no, like one of the reasons why you, you're, you, you're, you're, you, you, there's no way um, you are, uh, you are, you, you, uh, there, there's no way God is your father um, because you are dead spiritually. Um, this is a, in, the, in one sense, as a result, they're separated from God. They are lost and need to be found. They are dead and need to be made alive. And then he says, dead in the trespasses of their sin. So it's a conscious, willful action against God's holiness and righteousness, and thus a failure to live as one should. So a conscious, willful act against God. This is in rebellion to God. This is what, God cannot be your father uh, because you are dead in your trespasses. The sins and the willful disobedience of, of God is, 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 is how you live your life. You live your life in regular uh, rebellion against God. And here's the thing, and this is where, I, I, this, is where this is important because he's not talking about uh, uh, the fact that, no, that according to the world standards, you can still do good things. It says, no, you're a rebellion against God's righteousness, against God's holiness. And as a result of that, there is nothing good you can do for God or even with God uh, uh, because of your current state. And so it, it, it literally gives us three ways in which they carried out um, this, this current condition. And it's used, he uses the word, uh, 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 the verb walk, walk, and live. Can you guys see it in verse, in ver, all in verse 2 and verse, uh, verse 3? What are some of the ways that they demonstrated this condition? They walk following the course of this world. Yeah, they walk the f- according to the course of this world. They, uh, basically, they go along with what is fashionable and acceptable and are not, and they're out of, and they're, they're not out of step with the rest of the world, hence they embrace uh, temporal values. They are concerned only with the activities and values of this present age and are not concerned with God, with his values, his eternal values. Can you see another one? At the end of verse two. Yeah, they walked according to the ruler uh, of the power of the air. yeah, and it's, it's another way of saying that uh, in, in this particular case, that the system, the world system that exists is con- has been given temporary control to, uh, to Satan, and, and, and they follow his way of doing things. They fit in well with this system, and they walk under his authority and under, uh, uh, according to his, his power, his rule. And there's one more. How did they live? So in verse three, yeah. So all of this is just a uh, is just a is just a way of saying like, not only are you dead in your sin and and dead in your trespasses, uh, not only are you spiritually dead, separated from God, but but and and the, you you are of the de- the your father the devil. But it demonstrates it, like the way that they live. Once again, who your father is, is connected to your behavior. So we're not saying that uh, your behavior earns your adoption, but your behavior is a reflection of uh, who your father is. And if you notice, there's only two. Uh, The heavenly father, uh, creator, and then Satan. This says, based off of your behavior, you're of one of the other. And 
all of us are uh, all of us are born into this world spiritually dead. So as a result, whether we want to b- believe it or not, when we came into this world, we we were of our father the devil. We were spiritually dead. All right, because of our condition, we were separated from God. And then in Galatians four three. Yes, please. Yeah, and so our condition, we were children, uh, we were children of wrath, we were children of the devil, we were uh, in bondage, we were enslaved, we were uh, dead in our trespasses and sin. All of these conditions reveal one big uh, sobering and sad reality is that we uh, are are incapable of uh, doing anything of gaining fellowship with the Father. That's all of these words are doing is that they're communicating. And not only that, but because of our direct rebellion against God's righteousness, against God's holiness, the only thing that we deserve in as a result of that is God's wrath. And that wrath is just simply uh, God's pinpoint anger on uh, on evil, on sin, like his just act of of pouring out his anger against those who are in direct rebellion against um, uh, his righteousness and his holiness. And what we see in this Galatians passage is that we are now not, we are also enslaved to sin and we are in bondage. And so what has to happen is something has to intervene on our behalf in order for us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so that's what we see in this next section, that our adoption is secured uh, uh, by Jesus. Uh, Somebody grab Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Yes, please. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you're a, if you're a son, then, it, then an heir. Um, so this is very important for us to understand. Um, because we were unable to secure our own adoption, and we deserved the wrath, and that was what we were, was coming, he sent his perfect uh, son, Jesus. And his son was, was, was perfect in every way, because he not only was fully human, he was also fully God. He was without sin, and he did whatever the Father told him to do. He was obedient, right? And he was in uh, a fellowship with the Father. And so as a result of his obedience, uh, he, is the, his, he is the one who uh, gives him his life up for us to free us from slavery. Uh, he, is, he is the one who secures our adoption in God's family. The way he does it, it says he redeemed us. Simply means to obtain or set free by paying a price. And so before our adoption, a price had to be paid. A sacrifice was needed to set us free from our enslavement to sin and to remove us from the wrath of God. Jesus, at God's appointed time, intervenes on our behalf. So it's through Jesus that we are set free from the bondage of sin. It's through Jesus' work on the cross that he redeems us, and now we are able to be adopted into 
uh, his family. So this is not about paying a price to Satan, but paying the price of our sin to remove us from the wrath of God so that we can now be positioned to be adopted into the family of God. There is no interaction with Satan here, and this is incredibly important. Uh, Jesus is not paying a price to Satan. Jesus isn't bartering for our freedom with Satan. And so because of our condition, there was nothing we could do to earn our position as sons and daughters. So what Jesus does is once we are found guilty, the punishment for sin is death. We deserve the full wrath of God. What Jesus does is he come as the perfect sacrifice and he takes our punishment on our behalf. And he then experiences the full wrath of God on the cross. And because he is fully God, he resurrects, thereby defeating death and defeating sin. So that in that victory on the cross, we can now have freedom and be free from sin and death and have uh, a fellowship with God to be adopted uh, as sons and daughters as God. So when the father now looks at us, he sees the son and he's and that thereby uh, he sees the son's righteousness and thereby, uh, um, yeah, the, the wrath of God is now removed from us and we're brought into uh, God's holy family. Right. And so just a couple of quick ways that God now, dis- the, the, I'm sorry, the Bible now describes our condition. So Remember what that condition was like before? This is how the Bible describes it now. Somebody grab Romans, I'm sorry, uh, 1 John 3, 1 through 2. And, and I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 6, 17 through 18. Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, having been uh, set free, I'm sorry, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Right. Somebody read 1 John 3, 1 through 2 for us. Yeah, that's what make us smile. He says, we are God's children now. (laughs) So for those who have, uh, by faith, uh, uh, um, confessed their sin and and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, they have been set free. Not only have they been set free, he says, "We we are his now. Like, that's a big deal. And I, I, I dwell on it because it, it changes everything. It changes our, our trajectory completely. So one of the things, I, I, I love movies where uh, the, the, this is a horrible example where the missile is coming or the asteroid is coming to Earth and then they, they send a missile to change its trajectory so that it goes in a different direction. The wrath of God was coming towards us. And it is et- God's wrath is eternal. It's just and it's eternal. And Jesus changes the directory of God's wrath and pu- puts it, allows it to be poured on him so that we can now be called sons, so that we can now be called his. And I'm saying this over and over again because the look on you guys' faces is like, this is a big deal. Somebody say amen just once for me. And I promise I'll stop talking about it. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So, dead in our trespasses and sin, children of the devil, uh, children of of wrath, uh, slaves to sin. Now we're we're called slaves of righteousness. We're called his. And so his his wrath was going to be poured out on us. Now his, his love, his steadfast love is now poured on us. His wrath was eternal. Now his steadfast love is eternal. 
we are now sons and daughters of, of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and I'll, I'll move on. Any questions or thoughts about that? When you hear these words, what are some of the things that go through your mind when you hear these, these, these statements? Yeah, praise God. Absolutely. Anything else? Anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's good. Relief. Yeah. Yeah, there is a there's a there is a righteous fear there where that doesn't cause us to run from him and hide, but literally causes us to bring it to him um, because of who we are in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Bible talks about how the kingdom of God is not about what we eat, but it's it's, a, it's a about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, as citizens of the kingdom, as sons and daughters of the of of God, uh, we get to experience His peace and His His joy and His in 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 the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. So, as a result of that, this changes also how we live. So remember we talked about how, how we walked as children of the devil um, and who we followed. Um, and th- that it's, it's very important here to understand that like, um, this, how we live as adopted sons and daughters is once again pointing to the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees. I mean, there's no way Abraham, you are of, Abraham is your father. There's no way God is your father because of the way you behave. And so for us as Christians, um, we don't necessarily get, I mean, unless you have a, a, a bracelet or, or some type of Christian apparel, for the most part, in everyday life, we don't get something outward that uh, says, that screams Christian. But rather, it's how we live how, that demonstrates to the world who our father is how we treat, how we love and treat one another. And so a great place to look at that is, uh, is simply in, the, in, 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 um, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, where you have the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving us, uh, um, because we just always don't get it, uh, and we're being sanctified and changed, he's showing us how uh, people who live who identify themselves as sons and daughter of the of, of God. And so in the, in, in the in Sermon on the Mount, he says, what, well, uh, imitating the Father, um, uh, glorifying the Father. Um, we live public lives that bring praise to the Father in 6 9, hallowed be your name, um, pleasing the Father in 6 1 through 18. We spend our lives giving a concentrated effort to, uh, to pleasing the Father joyfully, even in how we pray. Pray to the Father. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father. Um, uh, and and, and who, we, um, who, we, who we go to, like you said, in our, in our sin, who we go to uh, and for protection, who we go to to meet our, our, our daily needs, who provides our, our, everything that we need. We go to him for that as our Father, uh, as, his, as, as his children. And so it's one of the things where it talks about, it describes uh, us as uh, sons, uh, then, it, then it also describes us as children. And there's a difference between a son and a child. And a son, you think of a, somebody older, a little bit older, who's not necessarily dependent. But when he describes us as children, it describes us as needy. Uh, it describes us of like, yeah, I can't do this without you. I need you. And so the Sermon of the Mount is a great place to go to as a way to say, okay, I am now a son. How, what, is, what does that look like? How does that work? And then it's the Holy Spirit working in you to help you live this out. And so also it's a, uh, so it's also the, um, 
We see our faithfulness. Um, is a life of trusting God for one's material needs as one seeks his kingdom and his righteousness. So it also gives us uh, a clarity on standards for how to be a Christian, um, but also the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Somebody grab Romans 8, uh, 12 through 17. So as benefit, as, as, as God's adopted sons and daughters, we get the benefit of and the privilege of, of following our Father and living away in a way that would please Him. We see that in Sermon on the Mount. But then we also get the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which makes this possible. Um, can somebody go ahead and read that? Romans 8, 12 through 17. Amen. Uh, and then also, it's also the highest privilege. Um, and so we are called sons and daughters of God. And it's not something that we should take lightly. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we have a right to. Um, it's a privilege to be called a son and daughter. That's why you Paul was saying, I'm not ashamed. This is something that we uh, take great privilege in. This is something that we get to not necessarily boast in our, well, not, not at all, boasting in ourselves, but we get to boast in the cross. We get to boast in the reality that uh, God has rescued us and that as, his, as his adopted sons and daughters. And so that's a privilege. And so what that looks like for us in our everyday life is, man, whenever someone, uh, especially when someone gives us something that we didn't deserve or um, when we get the privilege of participating in something great and noble, the first thing we do is tell everybody. We want everybody to know. And so we, we, whether it's through social media, whether it's through friends, whether it's through whoever, we want everybody to know I got to be a part of this important thing or somebody gave me something for free and I didn't even see it coming. Like, I, I think in a lot of ways, it's like that, that, that with being a, adopted sons and daughters, like the, the joy and the privilege of just telling everyone. It's like uh, when Jesus heals the blind man and, he, and he, he spits in the dirt and puts mud on his eyes, which is kind of weird, but he did it because that's Jesus and he does things that mess people's perspective up. And then all of a sudden the mud falls off and he can see. And, and the Pharisees come and they say, what happened? And you say, I don't know. I was, I was, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. And he knows he didn't do anything to earn that right. But he wants the world to know that it was Jesus who did it and that he is now, uh, um, and that we want the world to now know who we are in Christ. It's a privilege to do that. Um, yeah, I, I won't spend too much time here. Um, yeah. Yeah. We have an eternal destiny which is harder to share because we're still so broken. Yeah. So we can't use ourselves as examples yeah. to, to draw others to Christ. I mean, to, so to, to draw others to Christ, it has to be the hope of everything that he does. But that's, it's a harder sell when you're bumbling through life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was saved at a very young age. So I used to lie about my testimony because uh, I grew up in the church. And so I would make up all kinds of stuff and I would try to get it as messed up as possible because I wanted people to be saved. And I didn't think they would they would believe my story or I didn't think my story was enough. And so the miracle is the, is in our salvation is the same for me as it is for um person doing the, in the world's eyes the most craziest thing because it doesn't matter 
what we were doing when we were saved. The miracle is him saving um, children of the devil. And so the story that we tell, uh, even in our brokenness, the story that we tell is um, I was dead in my sin. I was uh, of the father. I was of my father, the devil, and he rescued me of, of nothing that I did to earn it. We can tell that story, and even in our brokenness, we can model it in the sense that, yeah, I am needy. I am not perfect. Um, and, and this is how Christ, um, my union with the Father, my union with the body of Christ, my union with Christ, allows me to actually to work out my salvation. And I think that's the story that we oftentimes don't tell, um, is the miracle, that, that spiritual miracle that took place that rescued us from the wrath of God. And I, I hope that helps any, because uh, you're right, it is a harder story to tell even in our brokenness, but I think it's still a, a story worth telling. Um, and I think um, what the Holy Spirit does in us is, it, is we get to boldly proclaim, not just um, in spite of our brokenness, um, what Christ did and the miracle that he did on the cross. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, I, I struggle to, to tell um, people, especially unbelievers, what Christ did for me. I do know that, one, when I'm with someone, um, there's like there's this, I don't know, there's some godly courage that happens when I'm with somebody else who it's, it's happened and we are both sharing this story. Um, it also is when I'm, when I begin telling the story, I can't stop at that point. <laughs> so it's like, sometimes for me, it's like, I'm just going to just start talking, uh, and I'm just going to share it. Uh, and once you start, you can't turn back where you start saying I was dead in my trespasses. No, I'm sorry. I, I can't go. I'm, I, you're, you're going to have to keep going. And so that's another part of it is that I would, in practical way, I would encourage us uh, is um, and sharing that privilege with other people is one man find other people that we can share the story and to other people with, but two just just say something about great about Jesus, um, or listen to their story, and say man and, and find a way to to bridge that commonality and, and point them to Christ. Um, but those are some practical I think ways to get the get the conversation going if that helps. Any other questions? Uh, highest privilege and then assurance. Um, and so, so my, once again, if you can read Romans 8, 29 and 30. Yeah, and so uh, we get to, as, as sons and daughters, we get the privilege of, of knowing that our adoption is permanent. This is not spiritual foster care. This is an adoption that is secured for eternity. And we, he, he makes it known to us. It's a privilege that God makes known. You see, see that later, uh, earlier in, in Romans eight fifteen through 17, where uh, not only does, does God not leave us in, 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 in that state, not only does he adopt us into it, but he, through the Holy Spirit, is ministering to us to constantly remind us that we are his. And so especially in those moments of doubt, uh, especially in those moments of whether uh, dealing with sin, whether in a, a hard season, whether dealing with uh, um, uh, uh, um, I was about to say desperation. It's not desperation. Um, whether we're in despair or uh, whether we're dealing with sin, um, if, because we are his, the Holy Spirit is constantly ministering to us to remind us that we are his and so that we won't be able to stay in that, uh, that place for long. And it's constantly working in us to remind us that we belong to him and our relationship with him is permanent. Right? Yeah. Cool. You guys are so quiet. Uh, so any other... Any, again yeah yeah that's what it is absolutely 
Any questions? I agree with you, absolutely. Yeah, amen, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Mark? Some people have such a dramatic life change. Like the pastor was talking to Israel, right? Yeah. With the ordinary stuff of life. Yeah. You know, we all we all sin, we all have pain, we have drama. And so people may say to you or me, they may say, Well, how in the world do you deal with that? How in the world do you go through that? You know, uh, in the ordinary stuff of life. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's really good. Um,
And, and so I'll end with, the, with this aspect of remember that um, the conversation with Jesus is having with the Pharisees. He's, he's telling them that there's no way that uh, Abraham, who walked by faith, can be your father. There's no way that God can be your father because he is holy and you are in direct rebellion against his holiness and righteousness. And so by the way you live your life, there is no way that God can be your father. And, and then he tells us, in spite of the way you live your life, uh, I'm going to send my son. And he is going to do the work that we could never do. He's going to die the death we couldn't die. And he's going to resurrect. And it's through his death and resurrection that we can now have life with him. And it's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we can now actually live out the holiness that God requires, including repentance when we sin. Um, and that's the, that's the joy that is set before us. That's the, that's the privilege that we get to have. And so I pray that that gives you peace. I pray that it gives you joy. But I also pray that it moves you to live out your adoption. Um, that you've now been given gifts as, in, as, a, as a part of a body to be able to serve in God's kingdom. He's now giving you a, a, a role. You get the, you've inherited the family business, so to speak. And you get to participate in God's kingdom business as a God is your father. You now get to take on his trade of, 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 of spreading the message and the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so that's a, that's a joy, and I pray that um, that sticks with us today. Uh, Daniel, can you pray for us? Have a good morning, guys.